Hi, I'm Azzy. Hi, I'm Bali. And welcome to, to the, the Dietitian, Dietitian Frequency. We're back. Another we episode. We are. Another indeed. episode. And today, it's one of those conversations that... I think we see it a lot on, on the internet, but really it has a lot of myths around it, this topic. Mm. It has a lot of, you know, people say a lot about it because it affects the majority of the population, which is women. Yeah. And and for that reason that everyone has a say on it and they think they know. Who do yeah, we have today, Azzy? Today we have Tanya, Tanya Huber. She's a registered dietitian. She actually has a special interest in PCOS nutrition. She runs her own private practice well, based in Johannesburg and Bryanston. She has a passion for nutrition. I mean, Tanya is even working on an ebook currently oh. on PCOS nutrition oh. and all of the myths surrounding it. So Tanya, tell us a little bit about yourself. So Frizzy, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here and to be talking about PCOS. Definitely, like you said, one of my passions. Um, I absolutely love helping women, women's health in general, mm-hmm. women's mental health. Um, yeah, so super excited to be here. I graduated from UCT in 2015, moved to Joburg in 2016 to do commserve, um, enjoyed clinical practice, but yeah, I decided eventually to move into private practice, and yeah, that's my story. Awesome. <laughs> and now here you are, now sitting you are. on a couch somewhere in Johannesburg <laughs> on the dietitian frequency with the two lunatics. <laughs> <laughs> No, we're really excited for this episode, and I think this is an area which a lot of people can learn from. Mm. I think not only for the general population, but also anyone who's a a medical or health professional, because I think there's a lot of advice that might be, um, maybe they need to reconsider when Mm. approaching this topic. So I think think we... Because all we hear, if somebody's saying, but PCOS, stop gluten. Yes, stop dairy, go on the pill. Lose weight. Lose weight. Walk away, just go lose weight. So, Tanya, that's why you are here to just help us navigate that space. Mm -hmm. But I see, when we were saying introduce yourself, you didn't give us much meat. And we're going to get that meat out of you. So, we've got got a segment here on the dietitian frequency. It's called, I guess, love, love, love this bit. Because it's not really much about your daily work, it's a bit different. Mm. It's called five and five. So five minutes on the clock, and then we'll be asking you five questions. You're just gonna shoot them at me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um, uh, exactly. Am I asking? Are you asking, Nadine? Uh, I don't mind asking. Okay. Yeah, so I'm gonna do a timer. I'll do the timer. Yeah, that's not really ready. There you go. I'm ready. First question: What's something people seem to misunderstand about you? Oh, they see me. They see me as a blonde. I'm blonde, and I don't know anything. Oh, oh the typical stereotype. Oh, yeah. oh, All the time. <laughs> and what's that thing called when they, especially men, when they call um, mansplaining? Oh yes, yeah. when they, oh, they have feel the need to like over-explain something because mm. they're a man and you're a woman. Yeah. What is it called? Mansplaining. Ma- mansplaining. Mans- yeah. Like explaining, but mansplaining. Yes. Oh. <laughs> so when when they make those comments, do you think that they realize that, oh, this probably wasn't the best thing to say, and then they try and mansplain their way out of saying it? <laughs> That's probably like, yeah. Something exactly like that. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Next question. 
What makes you feel inspired or like your best self? Hmm. I'm definitely inspired by the work that I do and when you see results. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you see change, I'm such a big advocate for change and trust mm-hmm. me, I wish I could change the world. But yeah, I think that's, that is very inspirational and motivational when you are seeing change that you're making. Mm-hmm. Um, also super inspired by my cats, my friends, my family, um, just pushing me to always be the best version of myself. Um, How yeah. many cats do you have? Just, just one, but he is my ultimate baby. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cat mom. Definitely they have mom. they have dog moms, so you. Yes, cat mom. I'm a dog mom. <laughs> I think he thinks he's a dog. He's huge. He's really? like fluffy. Oh. Yeah, and long hair, fluffy. Cute. Yeah, fair. He's my best. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. Next one. If you could have a billboard with anything on anything what would it be and what would it say like what message would it have and why mm. okay well it would firstly be neon pink like glow okay oh, so what does okay that's nice yeah. love a bit of neon pink glow okay um, uh, can we can we be honest we thought you were going to show up in neon pink <laughs> well, in pink because your brand is like it's pinks and peaches yeah. and I was like oh I want to wear this peach dress. And then Buddy was like, what if she shows up in peach? I mean, you say that, but to be honest, most days of the week I'm literally in jeans and a t-shirt. So. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't we all? What you don't see on Instagram. I mean, that five seconds on Instagram, we think now we know your life. Yeah. So neon pink. Yeah, that billboard. Hmm, what would it say? Um, ooh, I have to think about this one because I want it to be impactful. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Are you home safe? <gasps> ooh, that, I think this is my favorite one so far. Yeah. This is my favorite one. I you know, someone I just really, literally have goosebumps. Like, who really cares about you or loves you? Will ask you that question. 100%. Are you home? Did you arrive safe? Are you home? home and are you are you home? Are you home safe? And I think wow. not a lot of people have people like that in their lives mm. that really care about them. Yeah, Very but true. I think that as much as one quickie that will think it's about. Um, are you home safe in a literal sense? If you've been with people and now they're checking up on you, but also in cases where you are home, but the home in itself, itself is not is safe. not safe. 100%. But it's home. Hundred percent. I mean, think about it. We think about gender-based violence in South Africa. It happens mostly with their spouses and people going at home. home. At home. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I mean, if we look at the statistics during COVID, what, um, you know, how they they went up exponentially because obviously the domestic violence occurs mostly in the home. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh, you're <laughs> amazing. Um, so if you could go back in time to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell them? Firstly, red wine is good. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just skip past the white wine. Red wine is great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, what and we just almost offered you like uh, yeah. <laughs> just get past it, get past the headache, go straight for the red wine. Yeah. Um, but I think if I could tell my eighteen year old self, I would be, I would tell her to actually, you know, enjoy life, um, and not be so stressed and so worried about the future. 
and I think also um, financially I would tell my 18 year old self to be better with money I think that's not something we're always taught in school mm. yeah um, and not necessarily taught by our parents or our siblings it is something I've seen lacking in general in knowledge um, and yeah so I wish that is something that I wish I knew more about and um, when I was 18, so it would have been, you know, spend your money wisely, invest, yeah. those type of things. Yeah. Instead of going out and buying that Zara dress. And <laughs> <laughs> that next season, you're going to want to buy another Zara dress. 100%. Five minutes is up, but I feel like we can do the fifth question anyway. Let's do it, yeah, actually. So the last question is, what would your parents describe what you do for a living? <laughs> that's a good one they'd be like hmm. they'd definitely be like well don't you just make people meal plans Ooh, always <laughs> May help people lose weight make people meal plans and yeah help people lose weight I think I mean not only my parents I think our friends our family are so undereducated about dietitians and actually what we do um and I wish it was something that is something I also want to change is very much I want to get the word out what dietitians actually are and what we do because we are not just the food police. We are not just there to give you a meal plan and make you lose weight. We are so much more than that. And I mean, to be honest, most of us are psychologists. Ah, <laughs> we said this in, in one of our episodes. episodes. Somebody yeah. said, and we're like, definitely we end up being psychologists, whether it's in clinical setting or in private. Hundred percent, and we, you know, we clinical psychologists, like we're psychologists. We're big sisters to, you know, younger patients. We are accountability partners. We, um, we're there to give support, and we're a support system. And yeah, we're not just the food police, mm-hmm. which is what most people just look at us. They're like, oh, you're just a, well, you're a dietitian. What must I eat to lose weight? Yeah, I think that's my worst question in the whole world. Yeah, <laughs> I also cringe when I get that because, like, what? And it's always in a social setting. Yeah. Ah. Yes. I've now started telling, not telling people what I do for a living. Because the whole <laughs> conversation turns to food. So what do you, what do you resort to if the person asks? Stay at home cat mom. Oh, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I would say I'm an accountant because no one will no ask you to balance yeah. it. Yeah. I often say I'm a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. But then quickly, what kind of the work yeah. wage? Yeah. And oh, then I'd say I'm a corporate lawyer or corporate, I mean, corporate legal. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Yeah, no, there's nothing worse than, you know, we spend our whole day talking about food or around food or nutrition. There's nothing worse than going out and being in a social setting and then expecting to almost do your job again. We all need a break. Yeah. We all need some time yeah. to, you know, wind down, debrief. So. Yeah. And I mean, if they're not your client, you don't have to talk about it. I always say, we'll talk. Send me an email. Send me an email, then we'll talk. That's all the Here's my booking. <laughs> Follow me on Instagram. Or just like, what if the person says, what can I do? Here's my booking. Yeah. Follow that. You see my practice policy and all that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. These are my rates. Mm. Yeah. I think from, is it PCOS? Is it PCOS? How do we say it? So I say PCOS just mm-hmm. because I prefer it is like an acronym for polycystic ovarian syndrome, obviously. Mm-hmm. But you can call it PCOS. Um, yeah, does it really work? <laughs> tomato, tomato, potato, mm-hmm. potato. Potato. Right? Yeah. Yes. What is it? So PCOS, also otherwise known as polycystic ovarian syndrome, it's one of the most common disorders found in women, and mm-hmm. it affects women of 
from reproductive age of all mm-hmm. racial or ethnic groups. And the statistic is one in 10 women will actually be diagnosed with PCOS between their first period and menopause. Mm-hmm. Sure. Which is kind of a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it is and a lot. to think that this is a, a condition, I think I only first heard of it maybe two years ago. Yeah, yes. and on, I mean, on that note, no, it's that the latest statistic um, in the PCOS evidence based guidelines is that between 8 and 13% of reproduction age women are affected. Sure. But it is the most underdiagnosed and undertreated um, disorder. Up to sure. 70% of women who mm-hmm. are affected are actually undiagnosed. Sure. sure. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. It right? means there are many women who are misdiagnosed. What is PCOS is, is sort of termed something else. Yeah, mm-hmm. they are misdiagnosed. Hands up if you've ever been diagnosed with PCOS and you've just been told to lose weight, you must exercise, probably been given a prescription for the pill. And maybe even metformin, and mm. all your problems will be solved. Mm. Hands up. I'm sure there's people <laughs> there at home wash, doing the washing or whatever, putting their hands up very high. 100%. So, I mean, I wish it was that easy and simple. Yeah. But PCOS is complex, just like our body, and there's so many different aspects to this disorder mm-hmm. that require intervention and in order to heal. So please, firstly, don't believe everything you read on the internet <laughs> and make sure you're speaking to a qualified, let me just influence that word, mm. no pun intended, in <laughs> a qualified experienced mm. professional when it comes to this condition. It obviously affects our endocrine system. Um, our endocrine system is made up of many different glands and they're responsible for releasing many different hormones within our body. I mean, I could sit here till Christmas and just all the hormones. <laughs> we don't really have but, much <laughs> But yeah, these hormones are what control and coordinate our metabolism, our growth, our development, our emotions and mood, our fertility, our sexual function, our sleep, our blood pressure. Um, there are so many things that they really... Um, to affect so and responsible for. Um, sure. But now diagnosis is a touchy subject actually because it's a syndrome. Syndrome obviously um, consists of many different symptoms. Not everybody will experience or present with the same symptoms. Mm-hmm. So from a, from a diagnostic or from a best practice point of view, your diagnosis is based on a criterion which indicates or dictates that in order to have PCOS, you need to present with either two need to present with at least two out of the three following symptoms. Mm. So irregular periods or no period at all. Mm. Um, so that's the one. What does it look like when it's an irregular period? So this is a difficult one to do in children, in, I say children, but in young women or adolescents because for the first two years of your menstrual journey, you are bound to have an irregular cycle. Mm. And, mm. You're, you know, it's not always you know, rainbows in 28 days. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so between, so what they kind of define at the moment as what an irregular cycle is, is more than 35 days between between periods mm-hmm. or less than 21 days between periods. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of an ongoing thing. So that is kind of deemed as irregular mm-hmm. and then or otherwise is missing your period. Mm-hmm. Again, so a lot of these women who potentially have PCOS because of their symptoms have been put on a contraceptive pill which then gives you these hormones which obviously fake your period. So you are regulating 
I say that in inverted commas, you're irregulating something that's actually irregular and you're missing, you can potentially be missing that part of the diagnosis. Mm, sure. I've, I've, I've had a lot of ladies say, I've been on my periods for six months straight. Straight. Three months straight. Oh. And, and it's like, what? You, yeah. you should do we something have about like a five it. Day break or no, that's like that. right. I've be been on my the person will say I've been on my periods for three months straight, and, yeah, I, and sure. they're still fine. They're like, oh well, I'll see you. You know, I'll get help whenever. Mm. So I think this is a conversation that's important. That mm. irregular periods are sign that something might it's be wrong. Hundred yes. percent. I mean, I think that's so vital. But again, you know how we said like this is so important for other medical professionals because what is the first thing? The first thing your GP or your doctor does when you have an irregular period, here's the contraceptive yeah, yeah. pill. The pill. So the last, obviously, the last diagnosis criterion mm-hmm. oh, yes. um, is an ultrasound that obviously shows that you have cysts on your ovaries. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, this isn't kind of this isn't indicated in adolescents or young women due to the reproductive physiology that can potentially show cysts, but they're not actually cysts. So, mm-hmm. like I mentioned, it is a very bit of a touchy subject, the diagnosis. But, mm-hmm. yeah, so in order to get a diagnosis, firstly, you obviously need to go and see your doctor. You'd have to have a physical examination, numerous blood tests, occasionally an ultrasound if you, mm-hmm. if you, you know, don't have any of the previous two. And then, and also in order to get the diagnosis, you need, the medical doctor has to rule out some other medical conditions, things mm. that are affecting your thyroid or your adrenal glands mm. and uh, certain tumors. So it's almost like a rule. It's like, do you have this? Cool, then we'll rule out that. Okay, mm. now you have PCOS. Okay. So, yeah, as I, as I mentioned, there really is some debate regarding the diagnosis and how it works. And, yeah, like you said, it's this leads to delayed diagnosis. So, mm. and poor diagnostic experience. Imagine, you know, going to your doctor, getting something, having to come back mm. every single week or every single month because mm. it's not being fixed or you're not mm. feeling up, like you're not feeling right. And then also like dissatisfaction with your care. Like, why do we go to the doctor to help be helped, to be fixed, and you come home feeling, you know, um, unheard? I'm not, yeah, I was, yeah, you unheard. They didn't hear you. They just yeah. said, <laughs> it's in your mind, basically. Mm. It's like when they put a band-aid and think it's going to fix everything that's going on mm. below the skin. And I think a lot of people probably really do get frustrated by that. And I'm sure there's so many people who go for years even mm. and still don't get a diagnosis. Yeah. 100%. And I feel, I think women are definitely part of the category where, you know, we need to advocate for our own health. There's nobody that knows your body better than yourself. Mm. Not your mm. mother, not your doctor, mm. not your cat. <laughs> nobody knows. <laughs> There's a kid, mom. Oh, no, I thought cat knows you. I like how you use that. like, yeah, nobody knows your body better than you. You know when there's something wrong. And, and I feel there are obviously women that maybe can't or don't or don't want to advocate for their own health. And... Yeah, it obviously leads to, like I said, poor diagnosis mm-hmm. or um, a, crap, a crappy diagnostic service yeah. or, you know, care. And so I often find a lot of women that come into my practice, I actually have to advocate for. I have to, you know, go mm-hmm. back and advocate for them because I'm like, there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so, sure. yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's actually go into um, perhaps what might actually result in increasing your risk. 
for developing PCOS. Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, definitely. So, unfortunately, the underlying cause of PCOS is actually not really well understood. Um, if it was, <laughs> it would be a thousand times easier to cheat yeah. and we probably wouldn't be sitting with the problem that we have. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there are so many different factors that play a role in the development of PCOS, whether it's genetics, say that if your, you know, your mother or your grandmother or your sister um, suffer from PCOS, your risk is much higher than yeah. that of the regular person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hormones, lifestyle factors. Um, there's actually more recent research that I've been reading into that actually shows a link between the interactions of genes and the environment, especially during your fetal stage. So oh, I actually, I actually read about that as well. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. So I think it's just you know it's got to do with um, something called endocrine disruptors, where you know we expose to different type of to toxins and um, environments mm -hmm. and how they interact with our genes and um, these disruptors because they kind of they mimic what a hormone would be or they elicit a response mm -hmm. of that mm -hmm. is not necessarily supposed to be. They can actually change the way a gene presents itself. So sure. that's different from saying that it changes the gene. You can't change your DNA, mm -hmm. but you can change the way that the gene is is essentially presented, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's like you can't, you can change your clothes, you can put makeup 100%. on it. So would you say it's like changing 100%. the makeup or changing the clothes? Just for exactly, the exactly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so obviously that um, is a, but yeah, there's obviously, I mean, it is still quite new research and there's a lot more mm. research, but then there's also the chicken and the egg story, you know, that, oh yes, <laughs> <laughs> I love the chicken and the egg, like which one comes first, but mm. this is when it comes to being overweight or being obese and then developing uh, PCOS or developing PCOS and then being overweight. So obviously mm. there's massive studies to show that women who are classified as overweight or obese, and that's obviously classified according to your BMI, mm. show a consistently higher pre uh, prevalence of PCOS. But then at this, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, the studies also show that women with PCOS also have a higher weight gain than those without. So, so what comes first? Exactly, it's so the good. chicken and the egg, which one? <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, obviously this, that brings up the conversation about insulin resistance, which is mm -hmm. common among women with PCOS, which mm -hmm. contributes to that obesity and weight gain. I think there's one week on that, what is insulin resistance? Because that also is a term that is thrown out a lot, that you just have insulin resistance and then what? Yeah. what? And people don't even know what is what insulin, is insulin what does it mean to have insulin resistance? <laughs> yeah, I feel like that word is really thrown out. Am I going to be now definitely diabetic now that yeah. I've got insulin resistance? How does it work? Because, I mean, for how we are introduced to insulin is that it's responsible for the regulation of blood sugar levels. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's as if people who are non-diabetics do not have insulin, yeah. you know, because it's in that. So what is insulin resistance? So, okay, so obviously insulin resistance and then also um, beta cell dysfunction and beta cells are what um, are found in our pancreas and our pancreas is obviously an organ that's in our mm -hmm. body. Mm -hmm. Those are one of the defining characteristics of PCOS. Insulin resistance highly increases your risk of developing prediabetes mm -hmm. and type 2 diabetes like you said. So 50% of PCOS patients will develop prediabetes or type 2 diabetes before the age of 40. 50%. Sure. That's, that's a big chunk. Yeah. That's massive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's think of insulin resistance with like a lock and key analogy. So when carbohydrates are digested, 
they've broken down into small glucose molecules, which then go into our blood. Mm. This signals the pancreas, or the beta cells, to produce insulin. Mm. Glucose in the blood needs to enter the cells in the body to provide them with the energy they need. Mm. But to get inside the cells, the glucose must have a key to open the door. And the key to the door, essentially, is insulin. Mm. So when the key... When we have the key, so we have the insulin, but the door is stuck or the keyhole is broken or the lock is blocked mm. and the glucose can't enter the cell, that is essentially what insulin resistance is. Mm. So, you know, insulin can be seen as the key and when the keyholes are functioning just fine, we're, we're able to open the door, we're able to, it's not stuck, the glucose can enter the cell perfectly. That's great, that's normal, mm. that's what we want. But insulin resistance is when there's a blockage. We just can't get that, that glucose or that energy to enter our cells, which obviously results in a much higher blood sugar level and also then results in more insulin being produced by our pancreas. And it's just mm. a cycle. Yeah. Sure. That's interesting. Sure. And I think when it comes to, you mentioned something very interesting regarding kind of insulin resistance being a characteristic but not necessarily part of the diagnostic criteria. So does that mean that someone who has PCOS can have PCOS and not have insulin resistance? 100%. Mm. So like I said, the diagnostic criteria only really involves having polycystic ovaries, having a high amount of male um, hormones, as well as having um, irregular or abnormal periods. Mm. But mm. Insulin resistance, um, yeah, it's not a criterion for a diagnosis. So, mm. but more than fifty to eighty percent of women with PCOS do have insulin resistance. Mm. Um, and it's just important to note, like I said, because PCOS is a syndrome, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm. Syndromes just mean that there is a variety and a number of symptoms, mm. and each woman really does experience PCOS differently. So they will present with different symptoms. Um, and some of them will present with normal insulin function. Some of them won't. 50 to 80% of them won't. Mm. But, yeah, it is something that isn't diagnostic, but it is obviously quite a big part. Yeah. Because mm. if 50 to 80% of women are experiencing it, um, it really should be considered at some point. Yeah. Tell us, Tanya, what are some of the practical nutrition tips that you would give to anyone who actually is struggling with PCOS? Okay, cool. That's such a great question because there are so many. So something, first and foremost, as I always say, is fiber. So again, this just goes back to please include whole grain carbohydrates. So your fiber is obviously found in your whole grains, your fruit, your veg, your legumes, your seeds, your nuts, your beans. Yes. And again, fiber is so important in helping to manage your glucose and your insulin levels. So my helping to manage and stabilize those blood sugar levels is obviously going to help to manage your your PCOS. Mm-hmm. Then you've got your prebiotics and your probiotics, which is actually sometimes so overlooked. Um, but they obviously affect our gut health so much, and our gut health is actually so much, um, it's so linked to our mental health as well. And, and I think something that we didn't talk about with PCOS is actually, it's not only those physical symptoms, there are symptoms such as like having actual physical weakness and fatigue and just Mm. not having energy. So I think, you know, having, and that affects your mental health. So having prebiotics and probiotics are really good for your gut health, which in turn is obviously good for your mental health. Mm. So your prebiotics and your probiotics, your prebiotics obviously found in fruit and vegetables, your 
probiotics more found in your fermented foods such as your yogurt, your kefir, your kombucha, your pickles, buttermilk, your temper, although which is like that soybean meat substitute. Okay, I was about to yeah. ask what it's <laughs> Yeah, it's like a soybean um, meat substitute mm-hmm. that you can get. So they obviously, are, well, prebiotics obviously can take food for the bacteria in our gut, but probiotics are essentially the bacteria mm-hmm. in our gut. And yeah, yeah, so a healthy gut has been shown to have such a positive effect on inflammation, heart health, and like I mentioned, mental health. Mm-hmm. So those are two, that's also, then we want um, foods that are high in zinc. So we want, you know, sources of red meat, some shellfish, chickpeas, cashew nuts. Mm-hmm. Your zinc plays such a big role in fertility, in glucose metabolism, and as well as reducing androgens. Those male hormones, those are androgens. Mm-hmm. And we, wanna, we want to obviously reduce those so we can reduce, you know, the acne, mm-hmm. the hair loss, the excessive hair growth. I want to mention that cutting calories and cutting carbs or gluten or dairy, <laughs> really not the answer. <laughs> <laughs> Just not going to work. People think that's an answer. I mean, it, could, I mean, it really was that easy. But, okay, yeah, so there are a number of strategies. Firstly, we need to balance your carbohydrate in, intake. So carbs are actually quite important um, in the nutritional therapy of insulin resistance. They are one of the main sources of energy. They're mm-hmm. a macronutrient we need to have in our daily diets. Mm-hmm. And whole grain carbohydrates provide our body with fiber, which also helps to lower our insulin resistance. It's really important that, like I said, balanced carbohydrate intake. Mm-hmm. So that needs to be, you know, when you are having carbohydrates, you need to balance it with a protein and a fat. And that's where it comes to the plate model. Where And I love talking about the plate model because it's such a, like, it's a more practical tool. Like, it's very practical. You don't have to weigh stuff. Literally, you have to yeah. You just use it. your eyes. Yeah. Just the words out of my mouth. Very visual. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to be counting calories. You don't have to be weighing your food. Like, have half your plate, you know, vegetables and salads. Have a quarter of your plate proteins and a quarter of your plate uh, whole grain carbohydrates. It's really, exactly, it's a visual. It's an easy tool to use mm-hmm. um, without the additional energy of counting mm. calories, logging it on for, what's it, what's that app called? Once a person has logged their food in that famous app, those other local foods are not even there. Exactly. Like sorghum, for example. Sorghum is high in fiber, it's a whole grain, but it's not there. Salmon and beans combined can be a whole grain, it's not there. Maize, like maize, milkop, all of those there. things are not there. And 100%. they can be part, I guess, of that whole grain part of the plate. Definitely. Yeah. And, but, and yeah, so definitely, and then obviously just making sure that your carbohydrates are spread throughout the day, you know, not having all your carbs at breakfast or lunch or dinner, having mm. smaller amounts throughout the day. Mm. But increasing your, your lean protein intake. So your meals and snacks, should, every single meal, whether it's a meal, a snack, it should all have protein with mm. it. Mm. Um, Foods such as poultry, eggs, lean beef, low-fat yogurt, plant proteins, these are all things that you need to combine. So will the plant pro- proteins be beans? Like your yeah, exactly. Beans. Your plant proteins are your beans, you know, your legumes, and even seeds, you know, mm. flax seeds, chia seeds, those things. And mm. fiber is that micronutrient that keeps us full. So that's going to keep us fuller for longer. And then on top of it, it's going to help to balance our blood sugar levels, which helps with the insulin resistance. Mm. Um, then let's chat about omegas and fish oil. So these are so important for inflammation. The omega-3 fatty acids are, there's so much research backing them saying how they help to improve your cardiovascular function, which is obviously anything 
hydrated, mm -hmm. as well as they play such a big role in the reduction, again, of inflammation in the body. And because PCOS is such an inflammatory diagnosis, um, inflammatory disorder, it obviously omega-3 fatty acids are going to help. So your omega-3 fatty acids are found in your oily fish, your avo, your seeds, nuts, mm -hmm. um, fish oil supplements, and actually something that I give to my vegan or vegetarian um, patients that don't eat fish mm -hmm. um, and will not take, say, a fish oil supplement is an algae supplement. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that is also a really good source of omega-3. Mm -hmm. Wow. Sure. I mean, I heard, uh, your walnuts and chia seeds also contain omega-3, but apparently, not apparently. <laughs> yeah. I want you to be the one to explain this bit that you yeah. rather get um, use algae as a source of omega-3 than the plant sources. So, yeah, so omega-3s, there's obviously three different omega-3s. You've mm -hmm. got your AHA, your DHA, and your EPA. And um, the, the two, what we actually want to use in our body is your EPA and your DHA. Mm -hmm. But it is your ALA. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to be like, did I just say it last week? Yeah, we are playing yeah. cool as if we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> your ALA, which is your omegas that are found in your plant sources, mm -hmm actually need to be converted to EPA and DHA. Mm. But the body can only convert it at a rate of about 10%. Mm, so sure. in order to get the amount of EPA and the DHA that you actually need, you're going to have to be consuming a, a lot. Um, so yeah, so that's why it is really beneficial if you aren't um, a fish eater to get either supplementation in the form of a fish oil if you're not opposed to having fish oil mm -hmm. and or in the form of an algae supplement okay. okay and what about i mean just to unpack this a bit because i know most people whenever we think um, anything related to insulin resistance it's can't have sugar can't have fruit <laughs> what is your intake on that or what is your take on that okay so consuming fruit actually need to be converted to epa and dha mm. but the body can only convert it at a rate of about 10 percent mm, so sure. in order to get the amount of epa and the dha that you actually need you're going to have to be consuming a, a lot and mm. um, so yeah so that's why it is really beneficial if you aren't um a fish eater to get either supplementation in the form of a fish oil if you're not opposed to having fish oil mm -hmm. um, or in the form of an algae supplement. Okay. Um, yeah, then there's, okay, so we can talk about magnesium. Um, so did you know that actually most people, we don't take in our recommended, recommended daily intake of magnesium? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, sure. interesting. And, and this is not only because of our lack of intake, but it's also there's so many things that interfere with magnesium absorption. Mm, it's very true. And um, loads of medications, things like the pill. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they all interfere with magnesium absorption. Mm. So, mm. yeah. You want to be going for things that are high fiber. So, you want to go for things that are more than six grams of fiber per 100 grams. You want to be doing, you know, sugar. You want to be doing it definitely. It, Definitely less than 10 grams of sugar per 100 grams, if not even less than that. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, anything that's got nice, colorful, jumping animals on it can mm -hmm. potentially have, you know, because it's obviously focused at the target market. So, yeah, obviously, I think it's important nutritional labels. I mean, that again, it's another whole conversation on how to read them. Yeah. But yeah, don't always trust what you see on marketing as um, what is healthy. 
So mm -hmm. yeah, so watch out for your sugary breakfast cereals. Desserts, um, your sweets and your chocolates, your biscuits, your baked goods. Mm -hmm. um, those are all really high in sugar and high sugar intake is, um, is like proven to be associated with insulin resistance with pre-diabetes, with metabolic syndrome, with mm -hmm. cardiovascular health. So, mm -hmm. you know, in general, they, it is a very big contributor to chronic disease. But that is not to say that you cannot have any sugar yes. in your diet. Mm -hmm. And there obviously is a time and a place and there is, you know, there is a certain amount that you can have. Mm -hmm. And yeah. according to like the World Health Organization and we also want to just focus on building a rainbow. So, you know, I'm mm. one of those dietitians that doesn't like to take things away from people. Oh, 100%. Ooh. You want to add. I want to add. You want to do inclusion. Yeah. What can we add before? Because also I think it just becomes a mental block. 100%. As soon as you say avoid, 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 the person, you've lost them at that point. Yeah. It's like binge restriction cycle. Yeah. It's like you're restricting, and they restrict, and then they restrict, and then they binge. And then they feel guilty, so then they restrict again. And mm -hmm. yeah, so I'm not about taking away things, but it's about adding things. So adding fiber, adding different fats. Yeah, healthy fats. Ha mm -hmm. Adding healthy, different colored vegetables. So that's mm -hmm. where I talk about the the rainbow. Like you want to be, ha you want to have a beautiful <laughs> rainbow plate. Mm -hmm. Having different, obviously, different vegetables give you different antioxidants and vitamins and things. So having a variety mm -hmm. or having a rainbow does give you that antioxidant and those different types of vitamins. Yeah, so I mean, magnesium is important. It helps with the absorption and the conversion of glucose into energy. It also helps to reduce inflammation. But yes, there are great uh, food sources. So, avos, leafy greens, your nuts, your seeds, your beans, your whole grains. And guess what? What?
something that is like a really good supplement or so not just for immunity yeah. not just for because yeah. everyone started taking vitamin D supplements for immune so you see now the conversation is much bigger than broader. just broader yeah. than just yeah. immune system and bigger than just I mean PCOS I think PCOS has so many links to fertility that yeah. maybe people might not be aware of if they yeah. don't know of the conditions so it's really great to hear actually some solutions for people who might struggle with yeah fertility. i mean and i think pcr is one of those things that is so linked to everything yeah yes. so you know there it's going to overlap with so many different things but yeah so antioxidants so we can also talk about like eating an anti-inflammatory or a mediterranean diet we've also got, we all know those you know but yeah. they those antioxidants play such a big role in reducing inflammation as well and um, reducing our cardiovascular risk mm-hmm. Um, so again, foods, oily fish, avocado, nuts, seeds, legumes, beans, fruit, vegetables, whole grains. We want to focus on those. So, so basically, the Mediterranean. Oh gosh, I knew that was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> that diet yeah. is, you know, it puts an emphasis on the food items you just mentioned. Now, so it's just for somebody who doesn't understand. Yes. What that diet. Um, and then the last thing, obviously, like that, that I would always, most of the time, I would nutrient wise is I normally put my patients onto inositol supplementation. So yes. let's talk about inositol. Yeah. So inositol is a supplement, which I mean, technically, it's actually a vitamin B complex. So you know, different folic, folic yeah, acid involved as well. It, yeah, it's just a basically difficult, a different chemical. Um, composition of mm. a, of the B complex kind of a deal. Mm. So you're in this in this <laughs> in this. <laughs> <time. laughs> you see now? Now my insulin levels are dropping. So those supplements, obviously, again under guidance, they contain mm. something called your myo and your dechiro inositol, and this happens to be in a forty to one ratio. Well. The one the supplements that we would obviously advise you to be having mm-hmm. and these actually have been proven with research so much that they they really help to play a significant effect on insulin resistance as well mm-hmm. as the regulation of hormones yeah. even more so than metformin so oh. so they are like there are studies that like that have been done in the past where you know they put um, women with PCOS on either metformin or then they put them on the inositol mm-hmm. and the inositol actually elicits a much better response and a much better result than the metformin and mm-hmm. which is interesting because metformin is obviously a prescription drug whereas inositol you can't get over the mm-hmm. counter um, we do obviously have to remember though that metformin is probably one of the most widely most distributed drugs throughout the world it also is it's reasonable it's affordable mm-hmm. versus something like inositol which is i am going to say it's expensive it's mm-hmm. definitely expensive um which is again like, it just shows such a like such a divide in our healthcare because you know there are going to be some people that can't afford inositol and they're going to yeah. put on metformin and yeah then they have to suffer the other effects that, may, you know, the side effects that metformin gives you, which, mm. let's be honest, there's a list. So, I mean, that just, I mean, that, I mean, that's maybe a topic for another day where you'll probably <laughs> the, the gaps between, you know, private and public healthcare and mm. affordability of healthcare. But mm. yeah, so those are, those are my nutritional, um, Guide, like guidance yeah. and strategies that I normally put into place with my patients. Very, um, in the evidence-based guidelines, it's it's you know it's quite 
repetitive that it is individualized to each um, person. And then, you know, on top of that, healthy and sustainable weight loss through healthy nutrition. Um, we don't want to be putting you on weight loss pills or things that are not sustainable or that don't work. We want to be focusing on sustainable, healthy nutrition. Mm. But yeah, so having said that, it just shows that lifestyle changes, mainly being good nutrition, is actually the gold standard treatment for PCOS. Wow. What about other, you know, like other lifestyle change ah. or management of PCOS, you know, now that we've discussed nutrition? What yeah, so I mean, obviously, like I said, we go through the evidence-based guidelines and they say, you know, it's lifestyle management and nutritional management. Mm-hmm. So firstly, get enough sleep. Sleep is so, <laughs> so important. And you I, were talking and about And I've been this. telling us, so stop calling me. Stop calling me at night. <laughs> yeah, it's not adequate. It's not good enough sleep. Um, that can really have a negative effect. What, what does that look like in terms of the number of hours when you're saying it's 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 sufficient? You want to be having seven to eight hours yeah. of, of good sleep. So, yeah, so obviously getting enough sleep, I think that's really important. Um, mm. Well, and I can tell you then also moving your body. Mm. And when I'm saying, like, so movement is such a crucial part of PCRS management. But I'm not talking about let's all kill ourselves in the gym, please. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, you mean, we need to get gym memberships. No. Yeah. Spend that money. <laughs> like, I'm not talking about kill yourself in the gym. I'm just talking about, you know, get your body moving, doing things you like. So mm. resistance training and things like yoga have really been recognized to be appropriate physical mm. activities for women with PCRS. And, mm. I mean, we you can do everything online now. There's... YouTube videos, but I just want to say exercise is not my scope of practice. I'm a dietitian, but exercise is for the biochemists also coming in to focus on that. And I think that's the beauty of our podcast is that we bring specialists in that specific field, and we knew that you are a G when it comes to your I'm just gonna stick in my lane, (laughs) stay in my lane. Yeah, and then like I said, we have mentioned a bit of supplementation. So obviously, we usually only supplement diets mm. when you are deficient, and mm. obviously, but there is with PCOS a research-backed approach to the management of PCOS does include supplementation, and there are a number of supplements that can help to manage or reduce mm. symptoms. But again, crucial: do this with a medical provider that mm. has a qualification, yeah, and that has a special area of interest in that. Completely. You yeah. really need to be going to someone who knows what they're talking about. So, yeah, yeah and then I suppose there are, then there's two other things that I want to mention that if you are then on an oral contraceptive or if you are metformin, um, you need to be having additional vitamin B12. So, mm-hmm. vitamin B12 is obviously the absorption is um, affected by the contraception pill or by metformin. Um, so, yeah, it is found, obviously B12 is found in things like meat, fish, eggs, mm. um, milk, cheese, mostly animal products. But, yeah, I definitely would recommend supplementation then of B12. But, mm. again, please do this under guidance of your dietitian. So, toxicity so, is another thing. Yeah. And interactions, you know, nutrient yes. interactions. Yeah. And any final thoughts, just as we wrap Yeah, so, I mean, definitely, if you think that you have PCOS um, or you should have some symptoms, definitely go visit your doctor, go visit your gynae, voice your concerns. But, I mean, I did mention this earlier, there's no one who knows your body better than you do. Mm. I see so many women in my practice who just know something's not right, but they're often either medically dismissed, they're shrugged off, um, or they just leave with a pill, for, a script for the pill, 
And yeah, I mean, if this is your case where you're feeling medically dismissed or unheard, go and advocate for your health and go and see someone else. Get a second, a third, even a fourth opinion if you need to. Mm. Um, I also highly suggest seeing a dietitian who has experience and education in PCOS because... So see the time. We're able to send you for your blood work. We're able to interpret this blood work. We can also refer you to any sort of medical specialist that we need to for further testing. Mm. But and I mean, I spend a lot of time advocating for my patients when it, when I feel like they don't have a voice. Mm. But yeah. you know, as a dietitian, I can then also provide you with that nutritional education and that support, and I can also help you with that supplementation. Whereas mm. you know, yeah. it's not something that you can manage on your own. It has a massive effect on fertility as well as mental health. So it really is vital that you have someone in your corner that is with you, that's advocating for you, supporting you, providing mm. you with the correct science-based, evidence-based backing mm. to to what you need to do. But yeah, look out for my. I am gonna as. As you did say, I am releasing an ebook and probably be a little six week course. So mm-hmm. it's going to be your no nonsense guide, learning more. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's. Well, well, when when can we expect that? Because I mean, <laughs> actually, not that soon. And I mean, if it doesn't come out soon, where can people also find you? Do yeah. you have an Instagram handle or a website? Definitely. Can look you up so I have a website, um, it's just com. Uh, my Instagram handle is dietitian Tanya H. Mm-hmm. Uh, my TikTok is also at dietitian. I like to think PCOS is my A game, but it was so mm-hmm. lovely to be here to chat to you ladies. I had such a laugh, and mm-hmm. yeah, I love sharing my knowledge. And yeah, yeah, if anyone ever wants to get in touch and needs help, mm-hmm. yeah, pop pop us a message. Yes, remember Tanya Huber, T A N Y A H U B E R. Look at you, girl. Um, <laughs> like her. down. <laughs> Make sure. Like, what am I creating? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Thank you so much. You, whenever there's a new episode, a notification comes through to say um, the dietitian frequency has uploaded a new episode. So look out for those type of options so that you don't miss mm-hmm. out. Um, but we will be dropping every week. Yeah. So stay tuned. Bye. Bye. <laughs>